God in heaven, we are grateful for this day. We are grateful for all your many blessings. As, um, as we come here this morning, God, I pray that uh, whether we are facing issues this week, trials and temptations and struggles and um, maybe even loss, God, I pray that you would just um, be with us, comfort us. God, as um, we are maybe bringing some baggage in and working out the details, God, help us to just set that aside just for a small bit of time to focus on you. Because, God, you can do the impossible. And God, I pray that you would uh, just fill this room with your presence. God, I pray that you would help us to walk away new. Um, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Now, we all have certain events in our lives that shape certain aspects of our character. We have things in our lives that past history that we remember just because it had such an impact on our lives. Well, I remember being in fifth grade, and this particular day we had a special uh, guest in our classroom. And they told us that what we had to do was they were going to pass out a worksheet and had to put it face down on on the table. And... When they said go, you were going to do the worksheet, and the first person person finished would get a prize. I don't remember what the prize was. I barely even remember my teacher's name, but I do remember this particular day. And so I looked over at some of my friends thinking, I got this. Watch this. And... I remember just being, you know, my competitiveness was not going to allow me to, to finish anything but first. And so I, re- I remember getting the paper, getting like a little nervous because I didn't know what was on it. I wanted to be first. I wanted to finish this. I wanted to do, uh, get whatever prize it was. And so I remember sitting there getting ready. I had my pencil ready and they said, Go. Well, as I flipped it over, there's this bunch of mess at the top of the page, you know. I just skipped all of that stuff and noticed that there were some questions that I knew the answer to. And so I started flying through these, and I was at least pretending that I knew most of the answers, um, getting slightly frustrated when I didn't know all of them. But as I was going, as I was proceeding down, I got about halfway down, and I realized that there were some others that were like starting to get close to the bottom of the page. And I'm like, how in the world are they doing this? Like, I'm going as fast as human possible, humanly possible to do this worksheet. Well, then I see the first person raise their hand that they were done. This little girl raised her hand, and I instantly had so much hatred for that individual because she beat me. And so I remember trying to figure out how, how could this be? Um, well, then uh, they started going over the worksheet. And I noticed that this girl didn't have anything answered on her worksheet other than her name. Well, all of the mess that I skipped at the top were instructions. And the instructions said, after you read all of the instructions, put your name on your paper, you're done. And so I remember being so mad at myself because I had not followed the directions. I had not followed the instructions, and it just put me in an instantly bad mood for the rest of the day. Um, But how many times in life can we think about 
situations where we wish we would have followed some type of instruction, some type of somebody giving us advice, whether that be before we went to college or before we started dating somebody, we, we wish we would have listened to somebody to keep us away from pain or, or torment or going down a life of sin or whatever it may be. But we all have those situations where we wish we would have listened and applied that to our lives. Well, James, as we are continuing today, uh, in, in our passage of Scripture, James is picking up, um, and last week David Holcomb did a fantastic job at an introduction and kind of touched on trials. And so that's where James is going to pick up and pick up for us. But before we even get into the passage, I want you to understand this. In the first 27 verses, James uses or mentions knowing or understanding something. And in the remaining 81 verses, he only mentions it seven times. So in the first set, he mentions 27 times to know or understand something. And then the last 80-some verses, he only mentions it seven times. So what he's doing is he's setting us up to, hey, you need to listen before you can act. Before you can do what God's Word is telling us to do, before you can live a life of faith, you must listen. Which is hard for maybe a lot of us to be able to just focus in and listen on God's word whenever we are so busy throughout the week. Or maybe listening is the easy part, but doing is the hard part. Well, let's dive into verse 12. And it says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Now, trials, what, what are trials? Well, trials shape our character and our trust in our creator. They shape who we are. Now, if you think about the things that you have been through in this life, now we've all been through different things. Some of us have been through extreme loss. Some of us have not had to deal with the loss that others have. Some have gone down a life of just rebellion. Others have not. Other people have gone through financial struggles. Other people have not. But whatever we go through in this life shapes us. And we take parts of that baggage into other areas of our life. If relationships, for example, if we are hurt one way in a relationship or we encounter some type of hurt from a relationship, then we are going to be more sensitive to that going forward with other people. Well, trials can be defined as the struggles or hardships that we go through in life. Now, there's, uh, this is kind of a, a tough thing to cover because trials can be related to our sin, but they can also not be related to our sin. We may go through a trial because of a, a poor decision that we've made, and we are having to live with the after effects of said consequence or said action. Now, there are other or trials that we go through as it, relate, as it relates to just normal life. We go through difficulties, and I'm not talking about bad hair days or things like that. I'm talking about the struggles that we face 
going into maybe for a lot of our students, they go into school and they face bullying. They face all kinds of peer pressure and these things, struggles that we as students, as adults, as people face. Now, we also might experience trials as a result of other people's sin. Maybe a family member has made a very poor decision and we are left in a tough situation as a result of a decision that they've made. But granted, trials are made for this. Trials are made to encourage us to go deeper in our faith with God. Trials are, are there so that we can grow and it helps enable us to say, look, hey, I'm going through this difficult time and there's a couple of things that can happen. So as believers, we can either cling to God whenever we go through trials and when we cling to God, we understand that, yes, our physical circumstances, they might be terrible. Our emotional circumstances and spiritual circumstances, they may not be great. But here's what, in all of this, it is greater than I am when we rely on God. God works in the impossibilities. And so if I say, look, I am clinging to God in this trial, then I am understanding that God is greater than I am. And I am relying on him who knows what's before me, what's after me. He knows every element to every circumstance that I'm in, trusting in him that he's going to get me through. And allowing him to give me peace and joy in my trial. Now, happiness and joy are separate because happiness depends on circumstance and situation, right? You're not, you're not happy whenever a trial comes, but you can have joy knowing that God is with you. And your joy comes from much deeper than just happiness. Now, as we go through this, we can either cling to God, as I've said, and kind of put on Him the weight of this and say, God, I need you to help me through this trial. Or we can internalize everything and try to go at it by ourselves. Now, by going at it ourselves, this can also mean bringing friends into the mix to try to help us work through problems. But the key here is that God's presence and what we place on God and the power that we allow God to have in our lives is placed as secondary rather than primary as the first one. Now, when we take on the weight of our, our struggles and our trials, then what happens is we bear a lot of the, of the weight instead of allowing him to flow through it. And a lot of times we do that. Whether we want to admit it or not, we think this is my problem. I'm going to bear the weight of this. And in difficult times, it is easier for some to go to God, whereas others, they may run from God. But, you know, one person from the Bible that really sticks out in my mind when it comes to going through trials is Paul. We see in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are preaching the, gospels, preaching the gospel. Well, as they're going out preaching, there's this little girl, that slave girl, that's following them. And she is, has demon possession, and she is walking around shouting a chant that these two guys are, um, are of the most high followers of the Most High God, or um, something very similar to that. And so Paul gets so annoyed by this little girl that he casts the demon out of her. So as he casts the demon out, 
Paul and Silas um, are now imprisoned because these owners of the slave girl have no way of taking in money now because the demon has been expelled out of her. So they're mad, so they have Paul and Silas in prison. Now, prison is not, in this context, is not like it is today. Now, they are in the inner prison. They've been shackled. Um, let's just assume that there's not a flushing toilet, okay? We can go there. Uh, we can also say that there's not concrete floor, and there's no AC. So you can imagine that this place probably smells horrendous. It is not a place that you would want to be in. It's not a place that you would want to visit. It's not a place that you want to be associated with. So now Paul and Silas are in this place. Now they are in this trial as a result of, uh, of no sin that they have committed. But what is the response in all of this? If you read the text, you see that they begin to Sing hymns to God, and they begin to pray. Now, how many of us in our trials, in our struggles, do, is our first response to pray? Is our first response to sing at that? Because typically we like to sing when we're happy, right? We don't like to sing whenever we are having a terrible day. Um, but in the midst of all of this mess, Paul begins to do these things. Paul and Silas both begin to do these things. See, God was the center of everything. And no matter what circumstance was going on around them, they didn't, they didn't find their hope in anything but God. And that's hard. That's hard for us to be able to, to understand and be able to get our minds set in motion where we can do the same thing. Now, as trials shape our character and our trust in our creator, the deeper we go into that, the more trust that we actually have in God. Which means that the deeper in faith that we continue to go. We continue on in verse 13 and it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, James is very intentional in separating um, the fact that God does not tempt us. Now, with trials, they can bring forth good stuff. That, Trials, we are, you know, like we look at Job. God allowed Job to be tested, and that testing proved to, to help him, enable him to grow deeper in his faith. Now, for us, when we go through trials, it creates the, the, the atmosphere where we can grow as well. You know, when you look at uh, like an athlete, when they are, uh, began to train, what do they do? Like, have you ever seen those, uh, like, football players or somebody running with the little mini parachute on their back down the field? Like, they're running with the parachute to train. They're getting resistance so that whenever they get to the game, they can, they can be better prepared. They can be faster. They can be stronger. They can run and do the things that they wouldn't because there's an act of conflict that's there. So, in the midst of trials, in the midst of conflict, we can deepen our trust and our faith in our Creator. Now, temptation is a lot different. 
Now, the premise of temptation is to bring out the worst in us. Now, for temptation, a lot of it is, some temptation is, it doesn't really affect us. You know, like if we are tempted to do something that we're not really struggling with, then we can pretty much say, no, it's okay, I'm fine. But then there's other temptation that is a struggle. And what do we do whenever we are tempted in that way? But God being God, God being 100% holy, completely wholesome in every aspect of who he is, is not able to tempt us. God will not lead us into temptation. We may be in trials, but temptation is rooted within our own desires and within the worldliness that we, in which we live in. And how we respond is up to us. Now, if we look at temptation in our lives and we look and say, like, what are my struggles? What are my weaknesses? What are some things that I really, really struggle with? Well, I love Old Testament Joseph, how he approached temptation. Now, Joseph was, um, he was sold by his brothers. He ended up working his way up into Potiphar, who was an official in Egypt, into his household. And so Joseph was given anything and everything but Potiphar's wife. Well, Potiphar's wife came to him one day and said, look, hey, um, I kind of want you. And so let's make this happen. And so what he did was Joseph, she had a hold of Joseph's outer cloak and he ran out of his, out of his cloak to get out of the situation. So he literally ran out of his clothes so that he wouldn't fall to the temptation of Potiphar's wife. So if in fact we remove ourselves from temptation or situations where we, we are, are struggling... So if we struggle with anger, if we struggle with lying, if we struggle with cheating, what can we do to physically remove ourselves from the situation so that we can gain a better understanding? Because what happens when we're tempted? We get tunnel vision, where all we see is what we are being tempted with. And all we see is that we have to do that temptation, and we can either continue going down it, in the future, or we can um, kind of ask God for forgiveness and move on afterwards. But you see, we have options to get out of temptation. But you see, the difference here is that Joseph had boundaries set up. And one of his boundaries was to remove himself from the situation. Now, if I were to ask you if you have boundaries set up in your life so that as soon as you feel temptation coming on, you sense temptation coming on, how do you respond? Do you take a second and think, hmm, what should I do in this situation? Because temptation, we start to rationalize everything is okay. It's not as bad as it seems. It's not as bad if I do this, or it's not as bad as this person over here doing this thing. I'm just doing this little thing right here. But it all leads to sin. And if we don't have effective boundaries put in place in our lives, then we fall. It's like this. If you go to a concert, um, what do you see at the front? You see these big muscular men that are trying to keep all the people away from the stage, okay? And then you see a, a gate. Sometimes it's like a cattle gate. Sometimes it's other things. But 
it's there to keep people away, right? It's there to prevent people from getting to the stage. Now, what would, what would it look like if this were a boundary at a concert? Would this be able to hold people back from getting to the stage? I mean, it looks strong. This rope is high-quality rope. But would it prevent somebody from getting to the stage? No. Well, why can we do the same with our boundaries in our own lives? Why can we expect boundaries that are not going to hold us, keep us back from temptation? Why do we expect that they're going to hold? Why do we do that? And we all do it. We can not have these types of things in our lives and expect for us to succeed when temptation comes. We have to be rooted in, in Christ. And what I love about the Bible is it's not just a list of rules and regulations and what a lot of people think it is. It's filled with stories of people and their successes and also their failures and how they messed up. See, a lot of times we elevate biblical characters to this beyond human approach, but we see people like Moses that were like, God, I can't go back to Egypt because I can't speak right. Please send somebody else. We see people like David who fell, um, was tempted, and, and fell big time. But in the midst of that, we see so much success. We see people living out their faith, and we see people that are wrestling with their faith. But in us being able to see all of this, if we are rooted in the word, if we are reading God's word, if we are studying his word and we are praying and we are intentionally focusing on seeking after him, then, then we have boundaries. And we know that this is my trigger, this is what's going to cause me to fall, then what I'm going to do is, an appropriate boundary would be something like having an accountability partner. Somebody to come alongside of you and say that you can trust, not just somebody that is just going to give you positive advice, but somebody that is going to give you good Christian advice, and I think that's important. Um, and somebody, even you know, the same gender, that can say, look, look, I'm going through these struggles, and can you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. Can you be the person that I call and say, I am about to struggle with this. Can you please help me? And it can be anything. Um, accountability, partner. It can be um, removing yourself like Joseph did and just praying. If you are dealing with anger, do you know how much Better it would be if you removed yourself from the situation to pray and calm down before you said something that could do more damage than what you would even really intend to. Those types of boundaries are good, but when we are reading God's word and we, when we are praying and studying, then what happens is our desires begin to be his. Now, uh, uh, this idea of temptation, once again, we have two options. We can either go with the temptation or we can go with God. Now, when we fall from temptation, it's important for us to understand where we fell, how we fell, and correct it, right? Instead of continuing down this rabbit trail of sin, 
Because God is the God of grace, God is the God of mercy and love. And so when we mess up, it's important for us to know that, yes, we are going to mess up because we're human. But how can we change from what, and learn from what we've, the mistakes that we've made? But in the other aspect of this, when we are tempted and we are using boundaries to stay away, then that helps us cling to God. When we cling to God in those circumstances, in those temptations, God is more powerful than all of our weaknesses and all of our struggles, and we can find strength in Him. We can find everything that we need in Him. Now, we think that we're done with this passage, and then He kind of slides with trials and temptations, but He kind of slides in um, anger. In verses 19 and 20, and he says, Be quick to hear and slow to speak. <laughs> oh, man. Quick to hear and slow to speak. Now, when we, we do that, we're, once again, we are aligning ourselves. We are making sure that we're making the right um, decisions and um, processing before we say something that we need to. Uh, or we don't need to. Verse 20 says, For the anger of man does not produce righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce righteousness of God. I mean, think about that. Like, it's, it's easy to sin whenever you're mad because it is, it is no holds barred. Like, it's like, you made me mad, then things are going to happen. You know, it's like the fifth grade, I was mad. I was I was ready to, to say any and every bad thing I could to anybody that wanted to listen just because I was so mad. But when we once again align ourselves to God, we are preparing ourselves to not just be listen, listening and listeners, but doers of the word as well. Now, James then begins to, to move right here in this passage from listening to doing. And it says in verses 22 to 25, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty... And perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now think about this. Now uh, many of you have kids, and, and you understand, when you talk to a kid, sometimes they give you the, yes, I'm listening, but no, they're really not listening. And it goes in one ear and right out the other. And so when we do that, James is saying, look, it's like somebody's going to a mirror, looking at it, seeing it, and then they walk away and they forget what they look like. It's like you hear something, you might semi-process it, but then you're just like, eh, I'm done. And you don't remember it. You don't take any action upon listening. So what does it do? It does nothing. It does nothing. Hearing is the first step, but doing is what shapes our character. Doing is what shapes our character. Because when we do what God says, then once again we align ourselves with him and we look at Jesus' ministry. And what is Jesus' ministry about? Jesus was humble. Jesus forgave. 
Jesus was a servant. I mean, he washed the disciples' feet. Like, he did the lowest of the low of servants' positions because no, no servant wanted to do that job because it was so gross. And yet, Jesus did it, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, when we start reading God's word and we start aligning ourselves to him, then what we find is we become more humble. Because it's not all about us. It's about God and about how we can be more like him and how we can serve. And when we align ourselves with God, then the things of this world that used to matter begin to matter less and less because they're temporary. When we align ourselves to him, we begin a new change in us where we matter less and he matters more. Now, verse 21, we're going to go back just for a second. It says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, implanted, it is, it's kind of a, a parallel. Implanted word is a parallel to Jesus's, uh, one of Jesus' parables about the parable of the sower. And so this parable um, goes on to say this. So let's read this this passage from Matthew 13. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now Jesus often spoke in parables, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so Jesus is telling these so that people can understand the word of God. And so he explained this. And so we have four different types of atmospheres, areas that the seed fell on. The first is along the path, which the birds came and took up. Just devoured. Then there was the rocky ground where it sprouted up real quick, but there was no soil like deep enough for it to root, and so it withered away and died. The third was I fell among the thorns, and the thorns took over and choked out the plant. And then the fourth was the good soil where crop was produced. Now he would later go on, and we're going to read this um, starting in verse eighteen. The, what this means. It says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the evil one, the devil, comes along because they didn't hear the word, comes and it doesn't have any root, doesn't have anything, takes it away. It's kind of in ear, out the ear kind of thing. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. So second one, the seed falls into the, the rocky soil. There's a little bit there. Nothing for take root in. 
And what's important for our faith to withstand is that it needs to be rooted. You look at trees and their roots, they go deep and wide so that when the winds and the storms come, it's able to stand upright. And so because there was no root system that fell, it died. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Whew. Thorns, cares of the world. You know, our, our culture says in order to have good things, you've got to go to the best college, you've got to make the most money, and you've got to constantly live up to this standard of having things. And so when our attention is on that, and when we come into church, and maybe we're thinking about how we need to make a little bit more money so we can get a boat, or we can come into, you know, come into church thinking about how we need to do this so that we can do something else, and our attention's not on God, and our, our desire throughout the week is also not on God, then what happens is we allow the world to have a bigger input and pull us away from God. We allow that. And so the thorns, just as they choked out the plant, we are being choked out. The word of God is being choked out of that person's life because they're not allowing God to have more of a focus than culture. And the last one, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, and another sixty, and then another thirty. This is the, the person that hears God's word, applies it to their life, is seeking after him. And what happens whenever we do this? Whenever we align ourselves with God, then growing happens. We get to a point where we can trust God more knowing that God has brought us through and we trusted him to begin with. We get to a point where we are leaning into God more knowing that he is going to take care of us no matter what happens. It's easier for us to lean into God. It is almost by nature for us to begin to lean into God. As we are growing, as we are focusing on him and relying on him, these things begin to happen. For faith to be growing, it must be translated into deeds. Because encountering Jesus is life-changing. Now, doing deeds to do deeds, good things to do good things, that does not give us faith. That does not give us salvation. That is not forgiving. Because a relationship with Jesus is what is forgiving. That is what's life-giving. That is what we are responding out of for the deeds. Because Jesus has changed us, and because when we seek after him, because Jesus came as close as he could with the cross to us, and because he allows it to be our decision, then what happens is, when we choose him, then we are having a life-changing moment, and when we have a life-changing moment, it shifts us. It shifts our intentions. It shifts our direction in life. And when we do those, then our, our actions are a response because of the life that he has given us. Now, as time goes on, after you, 
we have made a profession of faith, the pull of the world it starts to happen. I mean, think about this. James is writing a letter, right? Now, if he's writing a letter, he's going to include the most important stuff in there. It's not like social media today where people take a picture of their food or, hey, I'm working out at the gym or just kind of writing useless information that nobody honestly really cares about. But James is writing with intention and intentionality about what the struggles that need to be addressed. And so if, if it's going on here, it's incredible to see that we're still struggling with things like that today in our culture about persevering, trials, temptation. So how can we be better living out our faith? And how can we seek after Jesus? And whenever we mess up, how can we train ourselves to, to not go deeper into sin, but go back to God knowing that he's going to forgive us and that knowing that he's going to dust us off and send us out on our way? But here's, here's the kicker. A lot of it has to start with you parents. Because think about this. I, I get to work with our middle school students, um, and I absolutely love working with them. I get about 48 to 50 weeks a year at about an hour and a half to have um, intentionality about directing them towards a deeper relationship with God. Um, a lot of them come with struggles, with deep depression, with um, just questioning who they are, questioning about God and all these things. And you think about how much time that you get to spend with your students every single day. Now, for some of you, it's like four hours. Some of you, it's more than that. But who has the, greater, the greatest amount of time to have um, an impact on them? It's school and their peers at school. A lot of parents, um, I've been in youth ministry 10 years, and I, I've seen a lot of different situations. A lot of parents will come in and just drop off their kids. And these are like deacons. These are um, people that I know that are prayerful people and people that are reading their Bible every single day. And they drop their kids off for me and Brian to do the Christian education. So we get the faith aspect so all they see at home is maybe a little bit of faith, kind of, you know, sprinkled in there a little bit. But most of the impact that is being placed on them is at school. How can you have a greater impact on your kid's life? Because if you're not impacting them, somebody is. It's the honest truth. If you are not guiding them to a deeper element of faith, and you have a bigger impact on them than I do, who's doing it? But all of us, both student and adult-like, how can we cling to God during the difficult times that we face? How can we run to Him when we are tempted? And how can we not just listen to God's word, but how can we act it and live it out every single day of our lives? Knowing that we're going to mess up, knowing that we're going to fail, but knowing that grace and forgiveness is there. How can we make strong boundaries in our lives?
Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for um, allowing us to be able to dive into your passage, this passage of scripture. God, pray that you would um, be with us this week as we go out, as we are living life, as we um, um, are just uh, going through the motions even. God, I pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. God, I pray that you would help us to live out our faith so that others can see you in us. Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Um, And we just want to praise you for all that you're doing in the life of this church, in the life of every single person. In your name, amen.